Hey everybody, this is the Tomato Tomato Podcast. It's a podcast about movies and the way that they're reviewed and sometimes wasting two hours of your life on a David Ayer, Max Landis movie. I am wow. Jenna. <laughs> I'm Jenna, one of your co-hosts. <sighs> Joining me is my other very exasperated co-host. Chris, and <laughs> I just, Bright is a movie that exists. <laughs> It's not even like I don't uh, I don't know. I'm just it's so I'm just, like speechless. That's how bad this movie is. It's like it, I'm genuinely speechless. It, it it teeters on bad and just being boring and forgetful. Yes, exactly. Like there were That's, there were that's solid, even worse than being bad. There were solid chunks that I was not paying attention and then I Me like too. snapped I got, back like, to reality. Yeah, I was able to like rearrange my bookshelves a little bit <laughs> while I was passively I, like, watching bits because it just lost me. I finished crocheting two scarves. <laughs> like that's how much because this movie's two fucking hours long. And yeah, I, and yeah, so, are, so, uh, so if you're living under a rock, Bright is one of the newest Netflix original movies. It's their uh, attempt at a blockbuster. Attempt is the keyword there. They spent $90 million on this fucking movie. I guess it all went to catering. It all went to catering, to Will Smith's budget, like, in order to bring him onto the movie. And it went to all of the offensive and glaringly obvious graffiti that's all over this fucking movie. Yes. So, uh, since this is a movie uh, podcast and it's about reviews, Rotten Tomatoes... Has some things to say about this movie. Yes, it does. Twenty-seven percent. Almost That's... too high. <laughs> yeah, it's a little generous. It uh, is. Eighteen fresh reviews, forty-nine rotten. Critic so it's consensus. not certified one way or the other. No. Um, Bright tries to blend fantasy, hard-hitting cop drama, and social commentary, and ends up failing uh, or falling painfully short uh, on the mark on three fronts. But then the Agreed. weird thing. But then the weird thing is that it's like the audience like, score. The audience score is eighty-nine percent, with an I average rating how. of four point three out of five and eleven thousand user ratings. This is like day and night from the last movie we did. It is. It's so weird. And it's like, it's insane. I'm, I'm seeing people that are trying to argue that like this movie is kind of the nail in the coffin to like film criticism basically being bullshit. Like, like, oh, well, this whole year has kind of proved that like people will like what they like and film criticism doesn't matter. And if people don't like The Last Jedi, the critics like it. And if people do like Bright, the critics don't like it and whatever. And I'm like, no. Don't lump this movie in with the no. Justice Leagues and The Last Jedi and the like other it, it, movies. I don't know. It, it's it's that stupid internet mob mentality, us versus them. Yeah. And people are very against critics, and we have to jump on the bandwagon because it's us versus them. And it's like we give these critics like. Not us, but like the internet, like this elitist, like their opinion is, we put so much stock in it. Yeah, well, it's which treated, we should. It's, it's treated like, oh, they're just the coastal elites and their opinion isn't my opinion or whatever. Like there's so much stock in it, but it's almost like elevated to another level. Yeah. To where, yeah. Like to the point where they represent the people who don't agree with your opinion. So let's tear them down. 
but it's also just confirmation bias because I mean that's the case with so many of the movies that we've covered on here it's like if you like a thing you can find positive reviews for it if you don't like a thing you can find reviews that confirm that like it's just opinion and like this I don't know I, I can't yeah, like having, I, it, 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 people forget that having a difference of opinion doesn't negate yours or wipe yours away you can still have yours mm -hmm. like if yeah. you like bright that's fine you don't have taste <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. I like. I, I I can't. I can. I in a way I can picture the people that like this movie. Yeah, I and and I, I mentioned it to you as we were watching it. It's the people who think that Joe Rogan is like a big celebrity cameo to throw into this movie. It's like I groaned and rolled my eyes when he came on screen. It was so gratuitous. It was so bad. And like, there's, there are a lot of bad cameos, but that one was just like, oh, this perfectly lines up with the type of movie that this is, in a way. Yes. Yeah, so, and then, so, in the mind space of like critics reviewing this, they know it's a David Ayer movie coming <laughs> off of the critically loved Suicide Squad. The Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Yes, I forgot. I apologize. <laughs> um, so there's already like a not a chip on the shoulder, but like their the, their expectations towards yeah. air are low. Yeah, and and <laughs> the expectations and desire to watch this movie were set so much lower. I don't. Yeah, they weren't dying to see this because of air. Well, and, and, and I think Will Smith, his stock has dropped with critics. Like he's still fun to watch. Yes. But he's not the cell that he used to be in his Wild Wild West days, which you should go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> the classic one of ours. I like forgot about Wild Wild West for a second, and I'm very ashamed of myself for that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I don't know, because it's like, it's not like Ayer, not, I mean, I don't know, from, from my understanding, people did like Ayer. Like his career, he has other movies that people like. And obviously, Suicide, yeah, like obviously, Training Day. Yeah. Um, some other, like, a lot of cop movies. Well, and, like, obviously Suicide Squad still has its audience. Like, I, I appreciate it. I wholeheartedly accept that it is not a very good movie, but it's fun. And yeah. it, like, but also, it's also part of a thing of, like, I'm more attached to those characters and the world is easier for me to understand than all of this ham-fisted bullshit that's in this movie. Yes. So it, I kind of, like, I don't know, I gravitate, gravitate towards Suicide Squad a little bit more, but it's just... It's so funny that it's like, oh, well, Suicide Squad's so awful. And, like, and Ayer has basically said, like, oh, D WB forced my hand and I didn't get to make the movie that I wanted to make. And then Netflix throws $90 million at him and lets him make the movie that he yes. wants to make. And it's this. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny to me after Suicide Squad, which the big villain is this magical being. And he says he regrets doing that. And he should have just used Joker as the main villain. And then goes off and does this. Mm -hmm. Very visual effects heavy. Granted, not as much as Suicide Squad. But... Honestly, the visual effects were, like, better than 90% of this movie. Like, the scenes I, that, like, actually used visual effects, I was like, okay, that actually looks, like, decent. Like, the, one, <laughs> the one good thing about uh, the practical effects with the makeup... Were great. Were they though? I, I, I thought 
Joel Edgerton, he could really, you could emote, he could emote through no, he, the, he all was, the makeup. I will, I will definitely say he was able, to, he, he was able to emote almost to the fact where like, I don't know, he was, he was the, I don't, I'm not going to say I liked his performance in the movie, but like, it wasn't horrible to watch. It was more just, I, I hated the position that his character was put in and I hated the whole context of this entire movie. But like, yeah, he was, he was definitely like his ability to emote even under like 12 pounds of Shrek prosthetics is like <laughs> kind of impressive. I will give him that. But uh, it, on, on the, on the flip side of that is much as we just kind of praised the, the makeup, uh, a lot of the makeup artists and the people in that mm-hmm. department were left out of the credits of the movie. 60 people. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's like, you can't have, something that's this practical effects heavy and have and leave them out and have like a hundred people that have to be painted in stupid orc makeup which was really jarring honestly in certain cases like having i don't know the costuming combined with the orc makeup was just like visually upsetting to me it just was like too much clashing i think i think so it didn't there wasn't enough there was too much of like human world and not enough orc or elf mm-hmm. it, it, like the critic <laughs> I'm just like that, laughing that, at the fact that like that, that that's a sentence that we just that you just yeah <laughs> like because it it's like the reviews it, it fails at three things being a fantasy movie a cop movie and a social commentary god yeah um do we want to so, go into yeah. the reviews which one do we want to start with um npr Let's do that one, yeah. Okay. That's a fun one. So NPR's review is sort is fresh. It I was, don't know how. Yeah, I kind of went for like the bigger outlets that rated this fresh. I'm kind of surprised if all people NPR. I know is fresh. It, it's not what I would have expected at all. Um, but so the title is Will Smith plays cops and monsters in the unremarkable bright. Um, it says, "I." It's so funny how many how many reviews start with like personal anecdotes and whatever. We don't and, need your personal anecdote about Bright and about how Knock you saw off. Joel Edgerton in a play like uh, ten years ago or whatever. Yeah, <sighs> totally I, unnecessary for this. Yeah, and then it's. Uh. It, it it highlights the graffiti, which I mentioned before. It says, before Bright's hip-hop title sequence has even finished showing us via graffiti, the social order of the movie-verse, elves are the slender and bejeweled one-percenters, orcs are the rotund and systematically oppressed underclass with humans in between. You'll likely feel like you've tuned into the 11th episode of its second season instead of sub- something ostensibly new. I totally agree with that, because yes. at the start of this movie, I was like, did I miss something? Like... The and there's so much, starts, there's so many dialogue, like exposition dumps. But it's not even exposition dumps. It's the same exposition that they're dumping over and over again, where like every 20 minutes, they might reveal something new of like, here's the wand. Here's what the wand does, blah, 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 blah. blah. And then 20 minutes later, well, Which here's is what a bright is, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it is such a dumb MacGuffin. I the will cons- admit. The, the, whole, the whole concept of this it should have been taken away from Landis and Air. <laughs> it developed into a TV show. I know. I was thinking that during this. It was like, this would work well as a longer form thing. But yeah. I also, and, and with someone who actually 
can write it and understand the system of oppression, I guess. And isn't a sexual assaulter, but yeah. that's another conversation. Like the fact that you, like this movie, I don't know. I just, ugh. I'm like, we, we will obviously talk about the weird, like racial tension of this entire movie, but like the fact that you get this awkward allegory from two pasty white guys it is so, it's just so bad. And like, yeah. the, and I'm sure their mindset was like, well, we have to be doing something right because Will Smith signed off on this. Yeah, exactly. And it, it Landis is not in any way woke. No. Well, let's, well, let's roll it back because they really set the tone for the movie with their production company called Trigger Warning. <laughs> and that's when I started just clocking out. <laughs> you clocked out two seconds into the movie then because that well, was like, it, uh, it it, I know you everything you need to know. And it's like, it's like painfully bad. It's like, like Landis is the kind of fucking troll that'll go online. It's like, dude, I'm making fun of social justice warriors. Watch out for those trigger warnings. It's like, no, I, I, I'm so done with him. I am too. And, and during the movie, I pointed out to you that he has nine upcoming projects, and I died a little inside. I guess yeah. ten now if he's brought back to write this, but I don't know. He probably will be since Netflix kind of hates, you know, getting rid of sexual assaulters. It, like, is very yeah, I mean, but, but also, But also look at House of Cards. I know. Well, no, so House of Cards, it was very quick. Then there's the whole thing with Danny Masterson and his stupid Ashton Kutcher uh, bullshit show. And it took them like three months to get rid of him. So <laughs> somewhere in between we might get yeah. how they deal with Landis or it might Hopefully. just never happen. I don't know. But yeah. But Landis, speaking of Landis and his yeah. stupid script, uh, I guess according to the NPR review, it says uh, his script really calls the magic wand a MacGuffin. Well, no, no. They're saying that like they they call the MacGuffin a magic wand, oh, like instead oh, of but, yeah. And I also missed that it's um, inside a briefcase full of heroin. <laughs> yeah, um, I missed so many things of this movie because I just Me did too. not give a shit. Like, I just didn't pay attention. No, and I and I think that that was the mindset to, of this movie to a degree. The one rotten review kind of mentions that in a perfect allegory, so I will go yeah, to we'll that later. Yeah. But yeah, it. <sighs> It, like the line, like fairy lives don't matter. And that, then that whole sequence made me so uncomfortable. Because there, like, there are a lot of things, and this it in no way tries to nail social commentary in any meaningful or thoughtful way. No, it just kind of throws it at the wall. But like my thing was so that 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 fairy scene is like two minutes into the movie, and you have no understanding of what the like caste system is between all of the different like mythical races and stuff so i'm like what the fuck like where do fairies fall in here and isn't this blatantly yeah. offensive that it's like oh i'm gonna go kill that thing hold on like it was so jarring and i'm like what what are we doing <laughs> i uh yeah. Uh, what else does review say? It says, I mean, if nothing else, Bright reminds you how much fun Smith is to watch even when he's coasting. He's likable and convincing as a rank-and-file uniform flatfoot, drowning in debt and still five long years away from his pension. Smith can land a quip better than just about anyone in the game, but he dials down the cockiness from of his heyday, mostly. Fairy lives don't matter, he tells to his day-drinking neighbors in an early scene, blah, 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 blah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what you said. Like Smith isn't mm-hmm. horrible to watch. Like he hasn't, he hasn't fully reached his downfall yet. He has made some horrible movies, but it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he signed on to this. I mean, probably because of air. Yeah. Cause of air and the money, but <laughs> let's see what else this review says. Uh, yeah. It just talks about the MacGuffin. Just kind of bland it is uh the cgi armageddon stuff is just as visually indistinct as it was in justice league with the scenes of smith and edgerton <laughs> driving around on patrol bickering like the murtaugh's and rigs and crockett's and tubs and cagney's and oh we get it um stick out since uh mighty spell of pure adequacy that's about right yeah like i don't know there were a couple it was adequate there are a couple moments between the two of them where I did, I was genuinely amused, but it like was the pancake line, the pancake line. Cause that was just kind of funny. And part of that was Joel Edgerton being able to like actually emote in that makeup. Like I was like, Oh, he looks funny there. Like those, it was just, like, a it, few it's, it's funny to me that, um, I felt this movie was way too long, but I'm also wishing this concept was turned into a TV show because <laughs> to get like it, 10 hours of this, because, because then TV we'd show, get more development. Yeah. Of the world of characters and not just thrown into it. Yeah. Exactly. But I I feel like none of the people that were involved with this movie would actually want to be in a TV adaptation of it. I don't think they would want to dedicate thirteen hours to it, but I I wouldn't want anyone who is involved with this movie, like I would go back in time, rework this whole concept, fire everyone. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And just take the concept of urban fantasy with cops yes and just go from there yes <laughs> but yeah uh, i think that's it for that review do we want to go to IndieWire yeah, since that's like my favorite review that this review actually you know, let's because oh, let's it's the it most scathing and it enjoyable it's because the IndieWire review is more well written than bright <laughs> Yes, the IndieWire review um, so convinced me to do this episode. Like, we were not going to touch this movie yeah. until I read this review, and I'm like, we need to cover this movie, even though we're going to hate ourselves for it. Like, this review kind of justifies why. But so then, onto yeah. the Guardian again, another outlet it's... that like I'm. I trusted you. They, yeah, I'm shocked that they wrote about it positively. It's Although three I, out of five stars. I don't really trust the Guardian because remember they gave like yeah. the very scathing Last Jedi review, but it still oh, is true. like I'm kind of it's it's an outlet that I wouldn't expect to have this kind of perspective on a movie, but yeah, it says that Will Smith's sci-fi is a true original for better or for worse, and the opening line is it's not often that you see a movie with a truly original premise or even a truly original combination of other movie premises. So Bright's high concepts um, certainly grabs the attention. I, I totally disagree with that. I don't think anything about this is original. Everything in this movie is borrowed from something else. Well, I think that's what they're arguing is like, even though it's all borrowed from something else, it's combined together in a way that we're not used to. Like, there isn't a fantasy cop movie. But mm, there's another book series, and there was a TV show that I'm blanking on. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to Google it. Okay. Because um, this is going to bug me. It's going to be one of those things that I need to find out the name of it. I completely understand that feeling. Um, yeah, it... The Dresden Files. I... Harry Dresden. It's like a oh, fantasy. Yeah. It's like an urban fantasy. That's what it... 
so there's stuff out there like it. I remember anyways. That. Yeah, I okay. <laughs> Paul Blackthorne is like, in the sci-fi show. But it is, yeah, because someone was telling me about that the other day, and I did not know that it existed. And then I was like, oh my god, it's mm -hmm. baby Paul Blackthorne. Yeah, but yeah, it. I mean, like that is definitely a genre, but it's still not a thing that like someone's gonna pour ninety million dollars into. Like, yeah. it's not really a thing that's explored on this kind of scale. It's more just like a smaller thing, I guess. I don't know, mm -hmm. but. Which is because uh, Guardian says the plot has grand ambitions in store for the partners. Um, just kind of going off that, they, the movie, they keep prefer uh, mentioning the Dark Lord and prophecy. And, and I hate those kind of tropes <laughs> sometimes. And then we never see this Dark Lord character and it's like, fuck. It's almost as Sequel. bad as the like blue light in the sky kind of yeah. bullshit. Like there's it's so um, lazy. It is. It's honestly lazy. And part of and what's and like every facet of this movie feels so lazy, even down to the fact that like Will Smith's character is apparently a bright and there's no indication of that. No indication. And then nothing movie. of consequence there's happens with no, that. There's no justification for it. He's a he's, It happens and then move on. He's a horrible character and then this happens and then he wakes up and then that's the end of it it's like it should be this like i'm the chosen one kind of thing but it just never fucking happens it, they just br like breeze on past it and like i was telling you it's so weird first of all they're making funko pops for this movie they Boy. put they put those out like two days before the movie came out and i'm like i hope you know that like no one is going to buy these but like there's a chase one of of Will Smith's character holding the magic wand. And so it's like, if you, if you actually, if you had seen that and then you saw the context of this movie, then you'd think, okay, you they just spoiled something for me. Yeah. But yeah, those are going to be in the clearance bin very quickly, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah. Yeah. This even, even this review, I, cause the last one from NPR mentions district nine. Mm -hmm. um, and both of them are, two movies that are not subtle at all with no. their, I'm doing air quotes, social commentary. <laughs> it's like, we get it. The orcs are the minorities. The elves are the rich people. Uh, it just, it's not well, nuanced. And it's, it's, Max Landis was not the person to tackle this. He was not at all. I don't. I. I don't want to know what was going through his mind. Like, because this is all just so bad. And like, even. Even with all of that, like, caste system sort of social justice thing in between all the different, like, races of creatures, there's still racial tension in the human world, which mm -hmm. then is a whole other weird thing with it, too. Because I've been standing her so hard lately, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, like, if Ava DuVernay, <laughs> someone who understands the social commentary and nuance, and is it actually just a good filmmaker... Yeah. Had tackled something like this. If anyone with like anyone else. any other mindset that isn't Max Landis's mindset, like this would have been a significantly better movie. Because the, the premise of it is not awful. Like no. I will admit that. It's it's something that if you have the story to back it up, I think could be interesting, but it just does not I don't know. <sighs> it was a poor execution. It, I'm trying to think of what else there is in this review. Um, yeah, because uh, they go on to say Ayer, he's fond of macho, hard-hitting action 
cartridge showering shootouts, careening car chases, crunching hand-to-hand combat. Some of it's exhilarating, some of it's borderline incomprehensible, owing yeah. to mistimed editing and terminally gloomy palette. Yes. Which, yeah, it, it kind of carries over from Suicide Squad. He definitely has his own tastes for action scenes. But, like, Suicide Squad, at least, you could kind of tell what was going on. Like, yes, there's a mm-hmm. bunch of dark, kind of weird stuff going on. But at the same time, there's still pops of color here and there. And there's still, like, a, a, at least enough of an idea to give a shit about the lighting, which does yeah. not really happen here. I don't know. Like, it, there were moments that looked relatively stylish, but they were so, like, scattered throughout the rest of the movie that I don't even know. Um, this review talks about a thing that I definitely, so it talks about the elf girl that they, they help and it says she's also important, but she has very little to do, but look waif like and make the odd acrobatic combat intervention. She's a little like, um, Lilu from the fifth element, except with fewer lines. And uh, it's so frustrating to me that it's like, okay, you're going to make this movie. And I'm sure this is like a peek inside Max Landis's brain. It's either like all of the female characters are either like this little docile waif girl who doesn't speak English, or it's like the overly confident, like bitchy villain elf lady, or it's just like side characters that don't even fucking matter. Yep, because he is not a good writer. And not a good person, but still, it's like, and the the, the comparison of the fifth element is totally valid there. I did not, like, mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me during the movie, but, like, it's same. totally the same thing. It's just like, oh, here's this cute little girl who can do acrobat shit. And she like, wasn't a character. She was a plot device, because Max Landis is shit. Yeah, and it takes two-thirds of the movie for her to actually speak English, and, like... yeah. It's just so frustrating. For no reason whatsoever, yeah. It... It's like she speaks English and then she dies. And like she mm-hmm. or like she dies and then they bring her back to life and then she dies again. I don't know. I stopped paying fucking attention because I hate this movie. At one it point, because is... you told me, it's like, oh, look, there's a dragon. And it's like, oh, there was a dragon? So there was an establishing shot of LA and like next to the moon, there was just a dragon flying by. And I'm like, give me more of that. Where is exactly. that? I want that. I want like a, a world where... It's and that's the what LAPD the, and all this like edgy sort of stuff going on, but then there's also that's what the Guardian says too. So, having established a world so rich in potential and so full of resonance, Bright backs off from exploring its finer points or those of its characters. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's exactly like the critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes. It's like it fails at being. A fantasy thing that succeeds. It kind of, it basically fails at being a cop movie that succeeds in part because like all of the cop dynamics are so one note. It's just like I'm I'm a, I'm racist and I want to kill you. I'm racist and I want to kill you. I'm the hard ass police like police chief or whatever. Like it's so yeah. It's tropey. So, it is. It's exactly tropey and like I you could tell how little they were going to factor in the movie when they actually first came in like Ike Barinholtz's character and Margaret Cho's character and whatever it's like okay yeah you're not really going to be in here for very long cuz you're just like a thorn in the side of this whole plot thing and you're just reinforcing the yeah. racism of this movie which is a whole other thing okay so i was just i oddly reminded of a show that almost existed <laughs> several years ago now okay um so uh, Ron Moore, 
Okay. He was the showrunner on Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. And he had made a pilot for NBC that wasn't picked up. It was called uh, 17th Precinct. Okay. And it was a fantasy cop show. Oh. That went full on fantasy where there's like no science in this world, but it's magic. But it's it, it's our world. Uh-huh. And so I'm like just reading stuff about it. It's like the cops use magic discs instead of guns, uh, spells instead of forensics and all that kind of stuff. And like, that's what I wish we had. Yeah. For this, uh, for this shitty movie, Bright. <laughs> well, cause kind it's of like, more into the fantasy part. Like they hint at fantasy stuff. There's like the pit of death that Joel Edgerton's character gets thrown into. And there's like the magic wand and all that sort of stuff. And they hint at basically like the Hobbit sort of battle that set up the whole world in the first place. But it's like in, I don't know, the the fact that it's just like, here's all these different magical races and they're just casually being human and not really yeah. like they're acting like humans and not really doing anything Other magical. Than- other than their look, they're not unique at all. It's, no. They're being lazy. It's like, yeah. oh, we have these looks for each race, uh, fantasy race. But other than that, there's nothing. No. It's just a social. It's, it's, exa- it's the social allegory thing that they don't succeed at doing. It's like, it's just frustrating. I did like how the elves kind of looked, though. Because, like, their, I don't know, their their wardrobe was, like, the one thing that didn't suck in terms of wardrobe. I yes. found it very visually <laughs> interesting. And like the, the, when they go to like the one percenter elf world, it was just like so extra looking that I kind of enjoyed so it. So very extra. I wanted more of that. Cause I'm like that, like, I don't know. This was just so we, gritty we and ham fisted and bad. I don't know. I'm just. So, but yeah. on the opposite spectrum of bad is this very well-written <laughs> Indie Wire review. Yes. Which yes. starts off. There's boring, there's bad, then there's bright. A movie so profoundly awful that Republicans will probably try to pass it into law over Christmas break. <laughs> Savage. From the director of Suicide Squad and the writer of Victor Frankenstein comes a fresh a fresh slice of hell that somehow represents new lows for them both. A dull and painfully derivative ordeal that often feels like it was made to just put those earlier misfires into perspective. That's exactly what I was what I was trying to say earlier. It's mm-hmm. like this makes Suicide Squad look better. It does. Which is amazing to me. Like I, I just this last line of the first paragraph. At least the emoji movie owned up to the fact that it was just putting shit on the screen. At least Emoji Movie had the courtesy to dress it up in a bow tie. (laughs) (sighs) And then, like, everything about this review is perfect. It's so perfect. And especially now that I've seen this movie, it's a whole other level of, like, accuracy. Because it goes on to say, a $90 million blockbuster that boasts all of the production value of an episode of Charmed. Netflix's first mega-budget film effort starts with a potentially compelling premise that never gets off the ground. I just love the, like, yeah. it has a production value of Charmed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bright is training Damien's Lord of the Rings, but much dumber than that sounds. <laughs> Very accurate. Uh, well, okay, and then it says, the last 2,000 years have played out more or less as we know them, but all sorts of magical species have stuck around in the margins of our history books. Okay, so that, that's... Which is insane of, to me. That's because you think you, like, you introduce all these new elements like orcs and elves and doors and magic, our, our but human everything's history the same. would not have been the same. 
No. Like the the world wars that would have happened and like slavery and everything would not have happened in this sort of system. Like it it's the whole point is that it completely turns like modern day social like social standing on its head, but it also should have done that in the past. Exactly. Because it's like, because even like the one, the sheriff guy mentions like, oh, well, Mexicans are still getting crap for the Alamo or whatever. So that's like, it, it, that means yeah. that that happened. And it wasn't like somehow the magical things didn't factor into the Battle of the Alamo. It's just so weird. <laughs> Continuing on in the review, it's rare to see a movie so toxic that it manages to raise multiple <laughs> red flags before the very first shot. But Bright is a special piece of work. It is the goofy crackle of blue magic that runs through the Netflix logo. Isn't enough of a warning sign. The gag is followed by a card for a production company called Trigger Warning Entertainment. Just go out on a limb and suggest that these might not be the best people to make a thinly veiled metaphor for America's racial violence. Yeah. And then it says lock and load snowflakes. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm just like, I'm trying to like read through this review somewhat chronologically because everything about it is so good. Because it says, um, it says the film's lazy refusal to explore its conceit any deeper than that is truly staggering, which is exactly what I was just saying. But director David Ayer is only willing to make so much room for the heightened genre elements, lest any of that nerd stuff infringe on his well-documented infatuation with or fetish for the LAPD. <laughs> yeah. Accurate. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like what we were suggesting with Death Note to an extent, where it's like, okay, you, you should take Death Note and make it a serialized thing where each installment explores a different genre. And you almost could do this with this concept of like, okay, here's the cop movie version, and now here's... It's almost other. so limiting to, to have this kind of, this world through the lens of cops. Exactly. It'll get tropey. We, we've seen all these beats before played out. So why are we going to this tired thing of buddy cops? And it's not even escapism. It's like, no. it's, it's so ham-fisted in like the racial violence of everything and showing 18 different pictures of like human police beating up orcs. It's like, I don't know what, there's like, no There's so many different ways they could approach it. Like they could have had a coming of age story at high school. <laughs> I was just thinking something. like a, a rom-com. Like yeah. use that. Use any other trope within this world. And it would be a monumentally better movie than Bright ever was. Like, I don't know. Oh yeah. Bright leans way too hard on whatever. <laughs> Is it films with racial dynamics apparent uh, aren't flimsy enough? Don't ask how black people fit into a story that problematically recodes them as a violent breed of orcs who are responsible for their own subjugation because screenwriter Max Landis never did. Its fantasy mythology is even less coherent. Exactly. Guillermo del Toro <laughs> puts more thought into a single one of his creatures than Landis Ayer and Ayer managed to spread across the entirety of this interminable funnier die sketch. I love that so much. First off, because of David, that. David Elric of IndieWire, I want to buy you a drink. Seriously. I just, so let's much just hang so, out, okay, so, so this review went viral, like, the day that Bright came out, and then Ayer responded to him on Twitter and basically said, it was like, haha, I'm going to, like, print this review out and frame it because, like, the, the like bad criticism is still better than no criticism or whatever, like, was basically what he said. And like, I'm like, from that perspective, I can understand that, like, I'd rather have people have a 
strong visceral reaction one way or the other than be like meh i guess but at the same time i don't know and i i just Shit. i i love because like the del toro thing i was reading a thing yesterday first off there's that ufo thing which i guess we can retweet from the tomato <laughs> twitter account del toro saw a ufo when he was 16 and he complained that it was poorly designed um but also like the thing where it says he puts more thought into the single one of his creatures i was reading a thing yesterday he spent he like consulted 20 different people to make sure that the the shape of waters like fish monster thing had like a sexy enough butt <laughs> like bless, he, yeah bless him so it's so like he puts so much thought into it and in this thing that doesn't really need it and at the same time you get like this gigantic high concept sort of thing with this movie that the funnier die sketch is a perfect comparison because i was thinking partway through it feels like a key and peel sketch it does the way that it's like they cut corners. Yes. They take the easy route for everything in this movie. They kind of, it's like they kind of, it's like, oh, I kind of remember Lord of the Rings. Let's just kind of use that for what, <laughs> like, orcs and elves look like. Exactly. I've played Skyrim for 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it. Uh, I'm kind of jumping down a little bit. Yeah. Um, Ayers, dim, and sloppy action set pieces look wildly out of place. They're so bland, you almost expect Iron Fist to show up. I love that line. I love that line. I love that line so much. It's so good. Forget about staying woke. Bright doesn't even care if you're really watching. Oh, I love that. Okay, that might be... Because it says... Um, oh, no, wait. I'll, I'll go back to that later. But, like, I was... Just so I don't forget. Um, let's see. So, okay, so it says that Edgerton is mercilessly, mercifully unrecognizable underneath a splotchy latex mask that makes him look like a syphilitic Navy SEAL. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. And, okay, so, like, a line before that, it's totally insignificant, Kim, but it did kind of bother me. When they're like, oh, he's the first orc on the force or whatever, you don't get that. I had thought that the movie was going to start with like them partnering up for the first time, but no, Me they've too. been like around for a while and they like, and Will Smith's character got shot and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, that's why I said, it feels like you're jumping in at like halfway through a season of a TV show. Yeah. It, Cause I know there's that whole idea of like start a scene, like, start from the middle. Yeah. But Landis took that way too much to heart. Cause I didn't get it because when because it starts off with Will Smith getting shot and I was Which, like you, you think is a dream sequence. Yeah. And I was very confused because I thought it's like, oh, he's going to get a new partner or something. I don't know. But then it's like, oh, no, this is his partner. He's had him from the beginning. And it just and I didn't care at that point. <laughs> and it's two minutes in. It's two minutes in. It's two minutes in. It says, um, Orcs love death metal is kind of cute. It's the kind of cute, insufferably trite, bad idea that a writer might use to start a conversation about creating a rich modern fantasy world not to end one. Alas, it's par for the course in a movie that might as well be making up its mythology as it goes along, as Landis butts out a cheap prophecy to pave over the most galling plot contrivances, and Ayer happily wastes half of his lighting budget on a glowing pool of milk that, uh, does something to stop the, the Dark Lord or whatever. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Nothing's really explained in this world. No. Everything takes the cheap way. I hate the fucking prophecy trope. 
And like, I hate it because when they announced that there was going to be a sequel, which first of all, that like way to put your fucking cart before the horse of like the day before the movie comes out, we're going to announce mm-hmm. a sequel. But like, this movie almost justifies it since like nothing is really resolved. No. Like there's so much shit that's open ended. That. Like the fact that Will Smith is a bright and it's yeah. never addressed again in this. It's like, oh, well, we got sequels coming. Yeah. We don't. No one asked for those. Uh, um, the creative freedom that Netflix grants filmmakers is wonderful and worth considering, but Bright suggests that constructive oversight isn't always a bad thing. A few studio notes can go a long way. Hopefully, a lack of supervision doesn't translate to a lack of concern. And, like, we've seen this this year with Death Note, which, by the way, I genuinely wished I was watching Death Note again instead of this. But it's like... Netflix is so, they have so much going on, and I rant about that quite a bit to where it's like, okay, you don't need to put out a new series every fucking week of the year. Yeah, you like, don't need a goddamn new comedy special every week. But like, they can't keep out, up with they, the, they put out so much content that they cannibalizes don't themselves. Yeah, they don't care if it does well or not because it's like so good. risk to them. Then it's like, okay, well, even if Bright fails, then we still have Orange is the New Black and all of that other sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, Netflix's MO is very much quantity over quality. Exactly. and they, it's, They'd rather put out like 20 okay to bad shows than five really good ones. Exactly. And it's really frustrating. And I think... <laughs> Because I, I think their mindset is like, well, we're the best and people like us the most. So yeah, I feel like we're, we're in the strongest position. So it doesn't really matter. But I think like I feel like all the the award winning and kind of being the go to yeah in in terms of streaming services has gone to their head and they're kind of resting on their laurels. Well, and I'll be curious to see how that changes over the next couple of years. Because well, see, I'm so excited to see how someone like Amazon yeah. takes on a Lord of the Rings show. Yeah. That'll be like a make or break thing for them. Like if they can accomplish that and do mm-hmm. it well, Netflix mm-hmm. better watch the fuck out. Exactly. <laughs> like uh, it's it's so interesting because everything keeps fragmenting to an extent, but then also not in terms of a streaming landscape because now, and I mean, we talked about this during our whole Disney Fox thing, but it's like once Disney puts out their streaming service, they're going to have all of Disney stuff and all of Fox's stuff and their own original shit of like a Marvel show and a Star Wars show yeah. and all that other sort of stuff that it's like, they're going to kind of like, completely changed Netflix's MO. Yeah, well, now, even looking at something like a real basic old person network like CBS. Yeah. They're getting into the streaming game. Yeah. By giving uh, uh, Peel, uh-huh. uh, they're giving him Twilight Zone. Yeah. And that they, is going to be great. That is something who I, I completely trust him to create a great show, something uh-huh. nuanced that has uh-huh. social commentary basically the opposite of bright (laughs) and i mean that's kind of the thing is like so much of netflix originals don't really have that nuance to it like you can find the ones that are and like movies see movies everywhere yeah and like even i mean that's like their main selling point this whole month has been like hey look we put out two shitty christmas movies and people like them because they like shitty christmas movies and i'm like that's not a sign that you're quality you're just putting out stuff that like found its audience in a way 
And you're, but yeah. you can't always make the guarantee that everything's going to find its audience. But it's okay because no one's going to be talking out about Bright a month from now because there's going to be five new shitty things. <sighs> like, I, I haven't used Netflix a whole lot recently. So when I logged into it to watch this movie, it, it, it prompted me with like 30 new Netflix originals. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I've There's been so gone many. For I can't keep up with them. I don't know. I'd really be interested to see the demographics, not the, like the numbers for all of yeah. these shows and like they, who's actually watching and who's continuing to watch these shows. They deliberately withhold it, though, other than to like publicly shame people about it online. Mm-hmm. To be like, like that tweet the other day where it's like, to the 18 people who watched A Christmas Prince every day for the past 18 days who hurt you. Like, it's like, okay, you can't, yeah. you can't put out garbage and then make fun of people for watching your garbage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But I think like the, they, with this movie, they, they seem to have just been like, we're going to put the cart before the horse because we know that people will watch this movie in one way, that, when, in one way or the other, even if it's just like half watching it, they'll still put it on. And then and then it'll justify making a sequel. And even if it doesn't perform exactly as well as we would have wanted it to perform, it's still, we still can justify it. Whereas if they had put this out in theaters, it would be a mess. Like, yeah. And it's almost <laughs> like, this is Netflix original. This is the only place where you can find it. Yeah. So you have to subscribe to us to get it. And it's just, well, but it's not. It's almost not even like okay. You have to subscribe to us to get it. I think their mindset is like we know you're subscribed to us anyway. Mm-hmm. Like that's so you may thing. as well watch our shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're gonna just keep firing blanks because we know that someone will watch them, and that especially in streaming shows case, it'll be like I'll just keep watching this and hope that it gets better, and then it never gets better. Yeah. And like that almost was the case with this movie. If we hadn't had to cover it for this podcast, I would have turned it off like ten minutes in. Because oh, I would have been like, fuck this movie. I'm not going to sit through it. But <laughs> like the the mindset of like, we have you, like we have you in our grasp and we know that you're going to do what we want you to do anyway. And it all computes to numbers in the end is like such bullshit. So I just logged on to Netflix. Okay. I'm just on like the, the main page and how they have those big uh, uh, Pictures. I'm blanking on words. It's like, here's all Netflix originals. I'm just scrolling through them all, and I have not heard maybe of two thirds of these. Uh huh. It's it's insane yeah. how many I just don't know about because they don't promote them. It's like it's like we know you watch all of our big ones like House of Cards, uh, Orange Is the New Black, and those will be their anchor shows. Yeah. And it's like maybe you'll check out these other ones, or maybe you won't. We don't care. We already have your money. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it's so, it's so weird. And it's just weird. I don't know. Like the fact that Fuller House has three seasons is insane to me. (laughs) But then again, that finds its audience. My mom and my sister are that audience. Like there, there are people who like, cause the whole point is like, I'm going to have Netflix and each family member is going to have a different account and they're all going to watch their own separate stuff. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, everywhere you look, (laughs) a, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's people watching shitty Netflix shows and movies. <laughs> um, where was the one point in this review that I okay? Um, 
So this was after the Iron Fist sentence, but this is like my favorite sentence from the whole review. <laughs> the constipated dialogue scenes that surround them tend to repeat the same points ad nauseum as though they were written to accommodate a teenage kid who's multitasking between the movie he's watching in one window and the porn that he's streaming in the other. Which is exactly what Max Landis was doing. I guarantee it. <laughs> Just like, okay, I'm going to write one page and then do my thing and then write half a page and then do my thing. Like, it's so, it, it's so accurate though. Cause it, it is, if you're, if you're a shitty teenage boy who wants to see tits and hear the word fuck every two seconds, then you're going to put on this movie. God. I, Max Landis is everything wrong with this industry. He, I don't want him to work in Hollywood ever again, but I know that's I wish possible. his dad wasn't famous so he could save his ass. Well, and, like, his dad is really good. Like, his dad has yeah. done some really good shit, and it is disappointing. Just unfortunate then. that he covers his ass. Mm-hmm. And that, like, the industry kind of covers his ass in a way. Mm-hmm. Because it's, like... And it, the weird thing is, is like, I got him and Josh Trank confused for the longest time. I thought they were, like, <laughs> one, co- like combined shitty person <laughs> and the fact that they're not is now like why are both of you still working in hollywood why is josh trank no still getting, why is josh trank getting another chance at the boba fett movie that no one wants like i don't get it at all i don't <laughs> yeah so to round out the indie wire review if Netflix fortifies their assault on the theatrical experience by internally developing blockbuster-sized movies that are even semi-consciously optimized for disinterested audiences, then it's hard to imagine how dark the future of feature-length filmmaking might be. Here's one indication. Shortly before the Embargo on Bright review was lifted, Netflix announced the sequel. Yeah. F. I don't think yes. it could be any lower than that. No, not at all. I would if they if they could, they probably would have rated that. Yeah. But yeah, it. I like I I can't picture someone watching this in a movie theater, which is exactly their intention. It's like we're gonna make something that feels like a a, a thing that you would want to watch at a movie theater, but we know that no one yeah. would actually pay the money to do it. Yeah. So from the outside looking into the Netflix offices, it looks like it's not a loss for them. Exactly. Because we don't know not. the numbers. Nothing's a loss for them. They hide yeah. their numbers and they just put out stuff and then whatever happens, happens. And then they just occasionally cancel stuff that is like actually ambitious. Like the, like the, a lot of their shows that do try to push new ground in a way, like Sensate and The Get Down and whatever and stuff that like actually has a fan following, they're like, oh, well, we just canceled it because of reasons. And it's like, okay, yeah. but then you're going to throw $90 million at David Ayer and Max Landis. So I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I really would be curious to just sit down with the people who greenlight this, you know, mm-hmm. just to ask them why. <laughs> why? Why? Who hurt you? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say something else and I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was the, the, the thing about like how this is an assault on the movie going experience. Because, yeah, there are so many good movies that are out in theaters now but Mm -hmm. it's what we've talked about in the past where it's like okay am i going to drive somewhere and pay ten dollars and possibly ten more dollars for candy to sit and watch like the big sick or the shape of water or any of these like indie indie movies but do i not put on pants stay home and just pop on netflix and watch break because i'm already paying for it exactly (laughs) 
it's it's kind of it's it's upsetting because it's like I don't know. It's just upsetting because it is for that exact reason. It it like and 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 how often do people actually look up reviews and Rotten Tomato scores for Netflix movies? They don't. Well, and that's why it that's almost why Netflix that's almost why Netflix took away their star rating and put the thumbs up, thumbs down bullshit because then it's easier to quantify. And you can mm-hmm. say like, here's how many people gave it a thumbs up, which means that, hey, at least someone liked it. Whereas if you do a five star rating system, Bright would have like two stars maybe. Yeah. And then that would, it, that would get people even if, to watch if it. If someone who watched this movie left it feeling meh, yeah. they'll probably give it a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I hate that, that it's either this or that, mm-hmm. Ugh, which you go back to any episode and you've heard me talk about it. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, don't watch this movie. We should have said don't. that at the beginning. I I think I'm gonna sell this movie on social media by saying we watched Bright, so you don't have to. Have to. <laughs> like, just spend two hours of your time to go see like a, a decent movie. Like, yeah, whatever indie movie. Literally you anything. To see, like, go to the movie theater and see that instead of seeing Bright. Because read a book. Yes, for read, God's sake. read a comic book at this point. Do that like, instead. Stare at them all. <laughs> Play thumb wrestling with yourself. Like, or just watch Death Note again. Like I said, this genuinely made me wish that I was watching Death Note again. Yep. Which, if you've listened to our Death Note episode, that is a pretty impressive accomplishment. Yeah, that like, was. Yeah. Well, uh, how, how, how can they find older episodes? Well... First off, I was going to say for our last segment, the only thing that we should say for oh, our God. last segment is please fire David Ayer from Gotham City Sirens. <laughs> he should be nowhere near that film. And I don't think Margot wants him to. That's no. the thing. Because she's like, she keeps saying, I love female directors and female writers and working with other women. And I love I what like Patty did with Wonder Woman. And I think that's why she's kind of working on this own side thing, kind of supplanting Ayer. Yes, because I think it's like, hey, this could be a better selling point than Ayer. <laughs> and yeah. so then that gets greenlit while the other one doesn't. But yeah, it. I don't want Ayer anywhere near this movie. I kind of did before, but now I just don't want that to happen. Nope. No. Give so, him the boot. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, um, you can find us on Twitter, going back to what I was supposed to say, at tomato tomato pod. You can email us at tomato tomato pod at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Facebook, just search for tomato tomato, I believe. Yes. Um, where can people find you on social media personally? Uh, at the Chris Vito and uh, sometimes on Instagram. Nice. Yeah, I've been trying to use Instagram more, which means like once in a blue moon. Um, nice. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hey, it's Jenna Lynn. So yeah, um, I'm like, I guess this is our last episode of the year, which is weird. It is. Yeah. What a high night, high note to go out on. <laughs> we need to pick something better for next week, just to like soothe the burn a yes. little bit. Good lord. Um, but yeah, until next time, keep watching movies. But not bright. But not bright. Bye. (laughs) Bye.